There has been an established sort of framework where we look at education as either having a potential to contribute to healing and reconciliation and the prevention of violence, as opposed to, you know, using education as another layer of ideology, uh, as politics, as uh, something that is used and even seen as an accomplice to conflict. You're listening to Speaking of Language, a podcast recorded at the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. Each week, we explore a topic related to language pedagogy and second language acquisition. This week on Speaking of Language. Larisa Kasumagic Kafejic, a Fulbright Visiting Scholar Fellow at Cornell from the University of Sarajevo, explores how language instructors can embrace a pedagogy of peace, justice, and conflict resolution. Welcome to a new episode of Speaking of Language. I'm Angelica Kramer, the director of the Language Resource Center at Cornell University. And I'm Sam Lupowitz, the LRC's media manager. We welcome Larisa Kasumagic-Kafedic to the studio today, who recently gave a talk as part of our monthly LRC speaker series on language and peace. This topic is particularly timely and important in the aftermath of the recent shooting at Michigan State University, where I spent 18 years studying and working. Dr. Kasumagic Kafejic will share with us what peacebuilding in language education can and should look like. Welcome to Speaking of Language, Larissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, Larissa, you currently are a Fulbright Visiting Scholar Fellow here at Cornell, originally from the University of Sarajevo, and you are working on a research project that's titled Teachers as Agents of Change, Education for Peace and Social Responsibility. You are not a stranger to Cornell. Please tell us about your background and your path with languages. Great. So thank you, dear Angelica, uh, for having me this early morning, mm -hmm. uh, right after the talk. It's been a pleasure to have been associated and connected to the center and to the wonderful people who are very passionate about language pedagogy. Mm -hmm. As you said, I'm not new to Cornell University. Uh, this was a sort of a second home for me 20 years ago when I first came here as a Hubert Humphrey Fellow, mm -hmm. which was a part of the Fulbright Fellowship for mid-career professionals. And I came for the first time to the University of Cornell uh, 20 years ago, as I said, on that mission to sort of deepen my understanding of the community youth work in peace education mm -hmm. and nonviolence education as a young professional at a time. I already had my degree in English language teaching when I came to the University of Cornell, uh, and I did teaching for several years in several high schools in my hometown mm -hmm. of Zanitsa in Bosnia and Herzegovina. After the Hubert Humphrey year, which I did through the association with the International Development and the School of Education, mm. uh, I continued uh, my education here pursuing my master's in international development with particular focus and concentration in education. Mm -hmm. So the work that I did as part of my master's project at a time, 20 years ago, was related to exploring the potential of youth work and child 
work uh, in connection to something that is a framework of participatory action research mm. and peace education in the community work of Bosnia and Herzegovina. Mm -hmm. So I lived here for three years. Mm -hmm. I have established deep connections. Mm -hmm. It was one of the most important experiences in my life. Mm. It was very formative for me at the time because yeah. I came in my late 20s. And I have established a lot of connections. I have been influenced by a lot of theories, mm. a lot of wonderful peace activists mm -hmm. uh, through the theoretical frameworks, but also through uh, the reaching out to the community and other professional organizations, yeah. one of which is also the Facing History organization that I mentioned yesterday. Mm -hmm. And that I can also come back to when I discuss some of the models yeah. and frameworks of the pedagogies. So, 20 years later, here I am. <laughs> I've been back uh, as a Fulbright scholar. Uh, so now I came in a position of an associate professor. I have been awarded a fellowship to come here as a researcher and mm -hmm. as a professor. So I'm doing uh, a part of my stay is related to doing research in the project that you have just mentioned, yeah. Education for Peace and Social Responsibility and the Empowerment of Language Teachers. And the other part is related to teaching a course through the program of global development mm -hmm. uh, at the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, where the minor in education has been integrated. Yes. Yep. So this is my association and mm -hmm. connection through that particular program. So I have been teaching. I just recently started co-teaching with Professor Julie Ficara on the course of global citizenship education. So a lot of issues and a Great. lot of yeah. theoretical frameworks and practitioners' experiences in connection to citizenship education, mm -hmm. intercultural learning, peace education have been also integrated in the course. Yeah. So we are dealing with like 70 students here from Cornell who come from all around the world and we also collaborate with the students from Sarajevo. Nice. So it's been wonderful to be back in a different role mm -hmm. from a different perspective to look at things, to go through the experience of revisiting Ithaca and Cornell, yeah. mm. reconnecting with people that I have you know, established connections with many years ago yeah. and making some new connections, meeting people and programs yeah. like yourselves. Wonderful. What's your background with languages? Okay, so my background uh, with languages, I'm sorry that I forgot to address no worries. that. So I started, uh, I can just say briefly through my experiential journey, the connection to the language that I established as a young teenager when I was 18 years old, when the war started in mm -hmm. Bosnia, was uh, by being involved as a translator. Mm. Even though I didn't have any professional qualification to mm -hmm. do the job, this was the reality of the Bosnian mm. uh, context at yeah. the time. So people were recruiting uh, students, uh, professionals, or just lay people who spoke some language to support the development of certain initiatives. Mm -hmm. So I started as a radio operator mm. at oh, the wow. age of 18. Uh, and it was in a very unfortunate and very drastic context yeah. of, you know, doing the work of the radio operator where I actually had to use English language mm -hmm. to receive the calls because we were under the umbrella of the International Medical Corps Organization, mm -hmm. which was the American-based organization that provided support in uh, medical uh, services, in emergency services, but also in child mental health programs. Mm -hmm. wow. So my first connection to English language was with the knowledge 
knowledge that I gained uh, from primary and high school mm -hmm. because I started learning English language at the age of 12 when I was in the fifth grade. Mm -hmm. And I was always very passionate with languages, mm -hmm. even though the school system favored my math orientation. Yeah. Like they really favored my math and physics. Yeah. But I, my heart was pouring <laughs> into languages and I did some extra classes. I did a lot of poetry with Blake and mm. Yeats, even at the level of primary wow. education. So I was really passionate. I listened to the songs. Mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed uh, Ray Charles records <laughs> that were given to me by my father. So mm -hmm. this was really like my soul was always like inclining in the direction of really nice. getting the spirit of the English language mm -hmm. through culture, through music, through eurythmics. Like I remember also a lot of music around in English language. So accessing literature in uh, war trauma mm -hmm. and the effects of the war trauma on children from the Second World War, which was some of the first, task, first tasks that I have been given yeah. as a young translator and administrator at the time, they enabled me to access the amount of knowledge and experiences, and I would say really they had the potential to sort of do the healing piece mm. in trying to better understand what we were going through as a society, but also as a young population who have been experiencing the war. So after the war was finished, so I did that work for several years because mm -hmm. I couldn't go to formal education at a time, because for four years I sure. had this gap in education. I, we couldn't go to Sarajevo, which was under the siege. Mm -hmm. So in 1996, when uh, the when in 1996 when the siege stopped, I traveled in uh, early May to do the entrance exam at the Department of English Language and Literature huh. because this was a sort of a natural orientation course, towards yeah. the language. And as I said yesterday in the lecture, my idea was not to earn a degree in teaching, but it was really to experience literature and to have that access to mm -hmm. normalcy of education, mm. where I. So the potential of English language, literature, history, and culture to sort of do this healing process, the continuation of the healing yeah. process, and reconnection with people who have been interrupted in their educational uh, journey. So I did, uh, this was the connection. I did my uh, bachelor degree in English language and literature at the Faculty of Philosophy of the University of Sarajevo. So this was the building that was like without any glasses at the mm -hmm. time when mm -hmm. I entered the, the school as a young student. So we were freezing in classrooms, like doing uh, lots of writing, uh, but really being very fortunate that we could have established something that was reconnection to the normalcy of being mm -hmm. a student. Yeah. So uh, this is my first uh, connection and memory mm -hmm. of, you know, being in school and exploring the language, learning about the language and really experiencing uh, many other cultures through uh, the potential of English language. So later on, uh, the connection has been uh, again through my PhD because the master's program that I did here was primarily concerned with education mm -hmm. because I have tried to combine this education field with the language field mm -hmm. since I, I, I felt yeah. that being naturally integrated in the way I have been and the way I started my professional career. And my current connection to the language is the position that I have established now as a teacher educator at the University of Sarajevo, where I have been teaching for the past 15 years, 16 years. Uh, and I have been involved in the teacher education program mm -hmm. of the English language teaching. So I have established the curriculum for teacher uh, education. 
I have started lots of uh, new courses in language pedagogy. Mm. Therefore, this really mm. uh, interest yeah. in the work that you do as a center. And uh, this is another layer of, of the connection uh, to the language. Uh, regarding other languages and the connection to them, I learned German when I lived in Germany for a year mm -hmm. as part of the Auslander Center, uh, where I uh, tried to uh, learn some basic German This was 30 years ago. <laughs> so I uh, I did, you know, go through the beginning courses in German. I remember pronouncing some words uh, with the sound of English. Like <laughs> I remember the word wirklich, like pronouncing it, oh, wirklich. And remember my teacher telling me, you are not, for, like, you know, better stay with English. <laughs> And, uh, but... I also remember going through that experience, you know, at, at a young age. Uh, the, the the fact that I haven't really perfected my German was that I used English in, at mm -hmm. home with sure. the family that I lived with. And so, but I do have some feeling and connection and deep sort of relation mm -hmm. to the culture of Germany because of the reason that I spent some time there in some of the most difficult times. And uh, it's my wish to reconnect to German mm -hmm. at some point. And I also started learning Japanese. Oh, wow. When I lived in Japan seven, uh, six years ago, mm -hmm. and I wanted to uh, try out the adult uh, education sort of approach mm -hmm. to learning a new language. And I'd better not speak about my knowledge in <laughs> Japanese because that was really difficult. Yeah. So I have experienced, I have had the attempts of learning some other languages with, you know, more or less success. Mm -hmm. But this, this has been the connection mm -hmm. to the language. Great. In your talk, you distinguished between peace education and peace pedagogy. What is the difference between the two and how do they intersect? Okay, so uh, one of the first uh, experiences that I have established as a young professional in the field of uh, doing nonviolence education and nonviolence communication uh, has been related later on. I would realize mm -hmm. the whole theoretical, you know, the bulk of literature, the canon of literature. Uh, later on, I would uh, establish this as a particular field and I would learn more from the field that has been framed for 60 years now. Uh, 60 plus years now as a field of peace education. So within the peace education, the focus, if we contrast it with peace pedagogy, and we are very careful in distinguishing between the two, uh, peace education is primarily concerned with something that is the contents of what we teach. Mm -hmm. So it would go through... <clears throat> Uh, different models that are offered that are basically framed within the principles of teaching about the values for peace mm -hmm. and pro the promotion of nonviolence and constructive conflict resolution and nonviolent conflict resolution. So a lot of models that are out there in the field of education would be counted as a particular uh, canon of peace education. And we would uh, say that uh, the frameworks and models, educational models like nonviolence education or human rights education, intercultural education, mm -hmm. uh, multicultural education, disarmament education, also some mm -hmm. of the first uh, initiatives have been established in connection to that particular uh, goal, have been developed, and many other uh, models have been developed in response to sort of look through the contents that could be appropriate to address the issues of war, post-conflict realities, but also generally the issues of violence. As opposed to peace education, 
in the book that my colleague and uh, myself, my dear colleague and a friend, Dr. Sarah Clark Habibi and I, uh, we have been involved uh, in designing and developing, uh, co-editing a book volume that is coming out very soon Mm -hmm. on uh, peace pedagogy in Bosnia and Herzegovina theory and practice in formal education. So we have uh, established this distinction with a goal to really differentiate between what we teach, Mm -hmm. which is the peace education, with all these different models that are existing, as opposed to understanding how we teach and what are the reasons we choose Mm -hmm. uh, particular strategies and methods in our approaches to teaching. Mm -hmm. So what is informing our decisions and what strategies we would use and how we position ourselves as educators, language teachers, but also in any other field. So this makes peace pedagogy sort of a field where we think more in terms of the strategies, the methods, uh, the principles, Mm -hmm. and the reasons So why and how uh, we teach. And under the the framework and under the umbrella of peace pedagogy, there are numerous also principles that have been informed with lots of research and theories. I'll just mention uh, briefly several of these uh, that are also of relevance for language education, like democratic pedagogy, uh, participatory pedagogy, Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, intercultural pedagogy also in terms of the strategies and and methods that we teach. And since recently, there have been established pedagogies in the context that are really critical for the post-war Bosnia that are related to uh, healing and reconciliation pedagogies. Mm -hmm. And since recently, also decolonizing or decolonial pedagogies that are becoming very important. They are now very new in the field, but there have been a lot of discussion and a lot of research already taking place. Mm -hmm. And uh, so this is the basic uh, sort of framework that we distinguish between Mm -hmm. the two. So you also discuss peace linguistics. What is that and how does that intersect then with peace education and peace pedagogy? Yes. So peace linguistics is, I have to say, uh, something that I was really passionate discovering since recently. And uh, the fact that I have been focused more on the pedagogies and looking for the connection and intersectionality of how I can use the potential of language education to promote something that I have been deeply committed to and really dedicated to, which Mm -hmm. was peace from the early starts on, that I have also established in my teacher identity that are now that is now becoming very explicit in the way I teach and the the decisions that I make in my teaching. Peace linguistics is a field that has been around for more than 20 years. But uh, the unfortunate truth and the unfortunate reality is that it hasn't sort of taken the ground and the priority Mm. in terms of explicitly sort of manifesting the values and the messages uh, to the level that it should have. Sure. Is something that I have recently discovered by reading the works of uh, this Brazilian uh, educator, Francisco Gomez de Matos, who is considered a father or the pioneer of the field. And he did a lot of research, a lot of writing. So if you really research the work that he mm-hmm. did through lots of workshops, teachings, uh, publications, 20 plus years uh, before, you would see that there have been attempts to establish this as a particular field mm. within the applied linguistics and sociolinguistics. Yeah. But there hasn't been a lot of efforts to really revive and put this at a sort of a, you know, the priority 
uh, position that I think it, it it should have. So in 2017, we have some uh, efforts uh, by Curtis, which I also mentioned yesterday, who tried to, by publishing the paper on uh, whatever has happened to peace linguistics or whatever happened to peace linguistics uh, when he actually tried to sort of point to this unfortunate reality that peace linguistics has not been around uh, to the level and uh, with the strength that it should have. Yeah. So uh, the discovery of peace linguistic ha linguistics has been really rewarding for my own professional work yeah. because I see a lot of intersectionality, not just how we teach, what we teach, but also the potential of using language in thinking through more consciously about the contents and about the messages and mm -hmm. about the pedagogical goals that we want to implement uh, through the you know through the position of being language yeah. educators, yeah. language teachers. Right. One quote that really stood out in your talk was, education is never neutral. Neglecting the role of education in peace building can contribute to cycles of conflict and violence. Uh, can you please unpack that for us? What does peace building in education look like more broadly and in, in language education in particular? Okay, so education is never neutral. That has been also uh, established through some prominent researchers uh, who have uh, done some brilliant work in really questioning the role of education. And there has been an established sort of framework where we look at education as either having a potential to contribute to healing and reconciliation and the prevention of violence. Yeah. So to use it as a sort of the key to either unlock the potential mm -hmm. of using the transformative power of pedagogy and education, as opposed to, you know, using education as another layer of ideology, mm. uh, as politics, as uh, something that is used and even seen as an accomplice to conflict. Mm -hmm. So these are like two opposite and really very uh, obvious positions that educational field can take on the continuum of seeing the potential of uh, the development of different educational practices in connection to this particular social phenomenon, problem, and challenge. Mm -hmm. So the obvious connection to using education as a sort of unlocking the potential of the transformative power of pedagogies and teachers and educators is definitely an obvious and very explicit connection that we have established in connection to peace education. Mm -hmm. So we really want to promote through the work that we do as language educators, we want to promote the potential of using language teaching and cultural, different cultural and historical aspects of teaching to promote the values of peace. Mm -hmm. You also discussed the importance of critical reflection in peace pedagogy. Can you give an example of what that looks like in a classroom? Okay, so critical reflection in, I will give the example of language teaching. Mm -hmm. I think for the sake of uh, sure. speaking of languages, I think this would uh, most appropriately address uh, the recognition and the value of, of these approaches. So the way I do it in my teacher education program I have introduced for many years, I have done so, I have introduced different uh, models and different tools that use reflective pedagogies, mm -hmm. again, as a way to being critically immersed into questioning and revisiting not just the role of an educator, but also revisiting different aspects that are related to language teaching from the way we do assessment, from the way we select activities sure. in connection to different language skills, to the way we teach and integrate culture, 
to the way we also sort of do uh, the monitoring of the progress and the evaluation of the progress of the competencies, of yeah. the language competencies. So let me just give one specific example. I'm not sure whether uh, for the teachers here in the context of the U.S. this would be familiar, but I have been using for many years the European portfolio for student teachers of languages, mm -hmm. which is a, a tool, pedagogical tool, that has been designed by David Newby and a group of other authors through the Center for Modern Languages in Graz, which is the program supported by the Council of Europe. And it has been uh, translated for many different contexts and other cultures. Hasn't been translated to Bosnian language, but we have been integrating the tool mm -hmm. to the context of Bosnia. Uh, with different, we have adapted the tool uh, for critical reflection yeah. in different ways because it does contain uh, a list of different descriptors, close to 200 descriptors oh, that oh. are grouped to like six thematic areas. Mm -hmm. And we contextualize it for the purposes of uh, revisiting and reflecting upon the role of language educator in the context of uh, Bosnia and also in connection to these different strategies, aspects of teaching, language skills, uh, assessment areas that are relevant for the schools in Bosnia. Mm -hmm. So that has become a very sort of natural, integral part to the pedagogy that I use as, as a teacher nice. educator. So we developed out of that, uh, we use it not to sort of strictly position where you are, what you have achieved, but to develop the mindset of the language educators to become more reflective mm -hmm. in their language teaching. Yeah. So this is giving them the tool to become more reflective once they leave the university, that they have this sort of mindset to continuously reflect upon and integrate these kinds of practices in their language mm -hmm. teaching. So this is as brief as, mm -hmm. as I could give as an example of <laughs> sure. something that is a very good and useful uh, tool for introducing yeah. critical reflection. So out of that, my students would come up with like digital story uh, videos mm. to demonstrate, like to really integrate some of these aspects into to demonstrate how they have developed over the course of time. Mm -hmm. Or they would uh, come up with the posters, some of which mm -hmm. I also presented yeah. yesterday, uh, the posters on critical reflection on the journey that they have undertaken as language educators, as language teachers, or just through some very uh, lengthy response papers, mm -hmm. reflection sure. papers, where they would also be in uh, in, engaged in very deep reflections on why they chose a particular uh, strategy and if they look back what things could have been changed. So this is also framed in the action research um, mm -hmm. models that, that we also teach in connection to, to such tools to give our teachers a more sort of critical reflection, as I said, framework of thinking, but also the, the research tools that they can use in the classroom, mm -hmm. which are also supporting the process of critical mm -hmm reflection yeah. in language teaching. Great. Where can our fellow language educators start today to integrate these concepts into their teaching? Okay, if uh, language teachers anywhere in the world would like to start uh, today, I think there have been a lot of different initiatives, a lot of programs, including here in the United States. Mm -hmm. I have been greatly inspired by a lot of programs here, just attending some of the activities that you did here at the mm -hmm. center on social justice uh, are closely related to a lot of issues that are also under the umbrella of peace education. So I think by attending professional development seminars, researching, reading about uh, the books that have been promoting the issues of 
uh, equality, the issues of peace values through language teaching. Just recently, uh, there there has been a book, I think since last year it's been out, uh, on peace building in language education mm-hmm. that uh, was uh, compiled by a group of editors uh, I think starting with Rebecca Oxford and a group of several other editors, co-editors that have established something that is really a framework of illustrating different practices of how language teaching of whatever language and context uh, can be used to connect to to peace-building pedagogies and practices. Also through the Center for Modern Languages, Mm -hmm. ECML, if that website is checked, I think it offers numerous numerous models and numerous opportunities for teachers to check on professional development activities. I'm involved in the project on action research communities for language educators, and we tackle the issues of intercultural education, Mm. intercultural pedagogy, and I'm trying also to push more towards the peace uh, component because it hasn't been covered as part of the European Center for Modern Languages with such an explicit connection. There's a lot of uh, discussion around democracy in language education and intercultural learning, but Having a peace framework as an explicit sort of framework is something that I'm also connecting every time I do education in in that uh, in that project, mm-hmm. and of course some other uh, programs that are maybe not necessarily related to uh, language teaching, like Facing History and ourselves organization, which I mentioned, that offers. Uh, free of charge, online resources and didactic strategies and materials that are connected to different cultural uh, aspects in connection to identity, social categories in identity, cultural aspects of using literary texts, using literature, using testimonials Mm -hmm. that could be brought back into the classroom, into the language classroom. So these are just some of the ideas Mm -hmm. that come first to my mind, thinking through. Well, and I think what stood out to me, too, is a lot of this is about reframing how we think ourselves about all mm. of these things, right? About peace in general, about anything that, you know, is is upsetting um, and how we, how we then approach, how we unpack these things and how we deal with trauma. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. A lot of that is about our teacher identity, yeah. so how we understand it, mm-hmm. and also how we position ourselves as teacher educators. Exactly. It took me a long time also to mm-hmm. become aware which part of these narratives and which part of these experiences I want to like put up front mm-hmm. for my students. Exactly. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. because I have also been sort of afraid and I was shying away of from course. a lot of these experiences. And then just seeing what's happening around the world. Mm-hmm. And becoming more aware mm-hmm. of the connections that have shaped my own language teacher identity. It's now more explicit in the way I teach. Yeah. I try to make more explicitly some of these connections, but I also invite my students to have a more holistic mm-hmm. view of their responsibilities, their yeah, moral and great. social responsibilities yeah. Yeah. in connection to how they use language and how they teach about language. Yeah. Where can our listeners find out more about you and your work? Okay, so the work uh, that is closely related to uh, the field of peace pedagogy and peace education could be checked. One of the greatest resources is the center that we established several years ago, which is Peace Education Hub. Uh, goes by Peace Hub, 
www.ghanem.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.ca.
Thank you for having me, and I'm really hoping we'll continue working together Absolutely. and giving our contribution to make this world a little bit better place for everyone. Yeah. Thank you. Next week, we are joined by Joe Dale, an independent languages consultant from the UK, who The Guardian described as a modern foreign languages guru. We will chat about the intersection of educational technology and language learning around the world. Until then, Auf Wiederhören! The Language Resource Center is located on the ground floor of Stimson Hall on Cornell's main campus in Ithaca, New York. Check us out on the web at lrc.cornell.edu or follow Cornell LRC on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Speaking of Language is produced by Angelica Kramer and Sam Lupowitz. Recorded by Sam Lupowitz. Original music by Sam Lupowitz, Dan Gable, and Joe Gibson. Thanks also to the College of Arts and Sciences at Cornell University. As a reminder, the ideas and opinions expressed on this podcast do not reflect those of the College of Arts and Sciences or any other official entity of Cornell University. We thank our listeners, and do stay tuned for our next episode.